It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Behind the Headlines, a podcast from The Independent. I'm Tom Rochelle. In each episode of this show, we speak to correspondents and experts to better understand what's happening around us. Today, I'm joined by the Independence business correspondent, Ben Chapman. Six months into the COVID-19 pandemic, and the moment that many knew was coming has finally arrived. The UK has plunged into its deepest recession on record in the first half of the year, as the coronavirus lockdown saw the economy contract by more than a fifth between April and June. Uh, ben, you've been writing about this today. First, can you just bring us up to speed on what this means? Hi, Tom. Well, as you mentioned, the figures really are quite staggering. The economy shrank by 20.4% between April and June, and that came on top of a 2.2% decline between January and March. So over the three months where lockdown was at its height, when the shops, bars and offices were shut, we as a country produced 22% less than we did in the same period last year. Um, it truly is an unprecedented decline in such a short space of time. Yeah, those are big, quite scary numbers there. So can you just sort of put that in perspective for us about what's been announced today and how this recession compares with what's gone before, others that we've seen before? If we look back then in the wake of the financial crisis, the obvious comparison, I mean, that's obviously gone down as one of the most catastrophic events, economic events of the last century. And what we've seen now in a short space of time is several times the size of that fallen output. Um, I mean, there are a couple of things worth noting, though, about that. I mean, firstly, the cause of this recession means that to some extent, it's a shorter, sharper downturn, although the recovery is still likely to be painful and take some time. Um, but if we look over a longer time frame, uh, than just the first half of this year, then there are past recessions that may well have delivered more pain than this one. Um, for the whole year, the Bank of England is saying that the economy will have shrunk 9.5%. That's still a huge amount, um, but it thinks we'll come back relatively quickly. But that would still be the worst slump since the aftermath of the First World War, um, when we had mass strikes up and down the country. I mean, going back further than that, you have to go back to things like the Great Frost of 1709, the War of the Spanish Succession in 1706 to see, you know, a fall in GDP, anything quite like what we're seeing at the moment. So it's quite extraordinary. Um, but we should also note that this was to a large extent expected. Um, this is not a normal recession. The government forcibly shut down the economy to stop the spread of the virus. 
Um, and now that it's opening up again, we, we should see a bounce back. Um, I mean, when people can't go to the shops or to the pub, to the theatre, to the cinema, they obviously don't spend money. Um, when they're not allowed to go to work, we produce less goods and services. And that's what we're measuring here. So we knew there would be a recession, but the size of it is still pretty shocking. There have been some comparisons uh, between the scale of the recession that we're seeing here in the UK compared to our partners in the G7, for example, haven't there? There have indeed, and, and they're not very favourable. Uh, and it's a serious thing for the government to look at as we head towards recovery. The US and Germany, for example, have seen reductions in output about half the size of the UK's. So, you know, this isn't a sort of rounding error. This is a big gulf between how our respective economies have responded to this crisis. Um, I mean, unfortunately, we, we don't have definitive answers as to why exactly we've performed so poorly. Um, but there are a few things that we can say. Um, and one was pointed out by the Chancellor Rishi Sunak today. That's the UK is more reliant comparatively on sort of face-to-face services, that social spending, like eating out, going to a gig, going to the theatre, watching sport, is a more important contributor to growth for us. So as that's being curtailed, we've seen a bigger hit. But this wasn't just services. We've seen big hits across the board. Car industry is at its worst year since 1954. Construction dropped off hugely. So there are bigger questions to answer here and uh, big things for the government to look at going forward. You mentioned there uh, going forwards. Um, Have we seen any signs of recovery so far? Are there any indications that we're sort of quote unquote through the worst of it? Uh, Fortunately, we we have seen some signs of recovery. Uh, In June, there was an 8.7% bounce in output, but that's still nowhere near enough to get us up to where we were before. Um, We've got more sort of timely indicators from July and August, things like energy usage and the number of journeys that we're making all going up backs towards normal levels. And at some point soon, we should see that filter through to the economic data. Um, So there, there are certainly some signs, but this isn't going to be a quick bounce back. It's, it's going to take some time to get back to where we were before. I mean, partly because of fears of the virus, people, people's habits still are not the same. Um, it's, it's going to take a while. Are there any indications about what a while might mean? You know, is it a one year, five year, 10 year process that we're likely to see? With the situation being so uncertain, we've had many, many different forecasts. And to some extent, economic forecasting is always difficult. And right now, it's nigh on impossible to get things accurate. We've got the Bank of England saying that they expect output to be back to where it was by the end of next year. But that's certainly towards the more optimistic end of the spectrum. Um, A lot of it depends on how people, businesses, the government react as we enter a sort of crucial phase over the next few months. We've got the ending of the furlough scheme, which has kept lots of people in work. Um, But there's all all sorts of other government support measures that will begin to taper down over the coming months. And if we do see, as is expected, a a big spike in unemployment over the winter, that's going to have a huge impact on spending again. So while we have seen this bounce back, if, if millions of people are out of a job, they don't have money to spend, then businesses aren't going to invest. Uh, and it has 
knock-on effects that mean that this could drag out for more than a year, two years. So with the furlough scheme ending at the end of October, is that the next sort of key date to be looking out for then? Yes, I think there are a lot of eyes on that. I mean, some of the issues are going to come to a head before that. The furlough scheme has already started winding down um, and employers have to start contributing to the costs of those employees who have been furloughed when they bring them back part time. So a lot of employers have decisions to make already. But the real crunch date, yes, is the end of October. That's when we will see the whether the estimated sort of 5 million people that we think are still on furlough will have a job to go back to or not. Um, and in all honesty, no one really knows what that figure will be at present. So what's the Chancellor been saying today then? And what sort of messaging is the government putting out around today's announcement? Well, I mean... He's been very honest, holding his hands up, saying, you know, we're dealing with something unprecedented, as we know, and acknowledging that we're in a very difficult and uncertain time. Um, He's also emphasised that this was, to some extent, an expected outcome, an expected recession. But he also emphasised that he didn't have a crystal ball to tell us what's going to happen. Um, But not so much in the way of definitive Uh, proposals as to what's going to happen going forward. I mean, looking for a positive, he said that the government is now targeting its public health approach to local areas. We've seen lockdowns locally in in several places, and that's welcome if we want to avoid the kind of national broad-scale lockdown that we desperately do. He said he wants to keep as much of the economy open as possible while dealing with the virus. Again, uh, a welcome thing to say. But it will also raise the question again of why the economic approach has not been so targeted as as the public health one is now. Um, There are sections of the economy like theatres, restaurants that are crying out for more targeted help after the current round of support ends. So far, the Chancellor has said no, um, but those calls are likely to get a lot louder over the coming weeks and months. You mentioned local lockdowns there, and, and clearly the government is keen to to mitigate as much economic damage as possible, um, and that has to be balanced with public health. Uh, there are reports just today that Oldham is is uh, is just days away from a local lockdown, and we've seen those elsewhere in the country. Um, as an economy, uh, can we afford for lockdowns to continue in this way? And how much more effective are they for aiding the economy than a lockdown on a national scale? Well, I think ultimately a national lockdown is the thing that we desperately, desperately want to avoid. That would really be a disastrous thing, not just for the economy, but for lots of other aspects of life as well. Um, So in a way, yes, we can afford local lockdowns because if that means that we can avoid, avoid broader measures, then it's welcome. Um, Obviously, we want to keep them as limited as possible, but if we need them to control the virus, then they're they're certainly welcome as a measure to do that. Um, It's it's certainly better to take a more sort of surgical approach than to take the, the broad approach that we had before. And the other aspect of that, too, is that to get the economy up and running, people have to be uh, confident that the public health issue, the virus, is under control. And if we're quick to stamp down on these local flare-ups, then that will certainly help to do that. 
that kind of leads me on to my next question, really, which is what can the government do to to get us out of this situation now? Well, I think first and foremost is to make sure that we have a grip and we keep a grip on the health situation to keep cases down as much as possible. Um, there are millions of people in the country who are at high risk, they're vulnerable. They're not going to go out to shops and restaurants and start spending money, whether or not the government is giving 50% off or whatever, unless they feel safe. Um, so that's especially important. That's the number one priority. Then there are those sort of targeted economic measures that lots of sectors have been calling for, notably the hospitality industry. They fear that as we go into the winter months, traditionally a quiet period for that industry that employs millions of people, that lots of businesses are not going to be able to continue. They're saying that the furlough scheme should be targeted specifically at those sectors most in need. It keeps people uh, in employment technically and certainly with money to spend. So it would be welcome in that sense. So those targeted measures, also bailouts for other sectors. The aerospace industry is one that's looking for special treatment reportedly this week. Um, and then more broadly, we need to invest. The government has said all along that it will do this, but the announcements that have been made have been quite underwhelming. A lot of it was reheated uh, announcements, previously announced spending and uh, reallocated budgets. Whereas in other countries, they've been a lot more ambitious in the spending that they're going to do. And that would help stimulate the economy. I mean, obviously there are concerns about rising debt levels, but that really should be secondary to getting the economy started again. So it'd be welcome to see something more ambitious on that front. And another factor potentially, not one that seems to be on the table at the moment would be um, looking at benefits payments. If we're going to have mass unemployment, as a lot of people are predicting we are, we have to look at the fact that we have one of the least generous benefit systems in the world. Um, universal credit replaces about a third of the income of a single person on the average wage. That means the shock to people's incomes when they become employed, unemployed is that much bigger. Um, and that's something we, we definitely want to avoid. Okay, well, Ben, thanks so much for joining us today. I know that you've had um, a lot on your plate, so uh, your time is very much appreciated. Thanks for having me. That's all we have time for today. Uh, there's a link in the description to a fantastic piece of analysis uh, that Ben has written on The Independent, uh, so check that out. If you're a new listener, you can subscribe to Behind the Headlines on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen. If there are stories you'd like to hear, you can email behindtheheadlines at independent.co.uk. You can support this show and all forms of reporting at The Independent by signing up as a supporter. There's a link in the description for that as well. Thanks again for listening and goodbye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.